Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome, party people, to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves Podcast. What's going on, y'all? What's happening? Hey, Welcome. what's we happening, here. Coach? How you doing? Man, I am doing great. I'm excited, bro. I'm excited. Well, this is very exciting. Uh, welcome, everybody, to episode number one of The Coach and the Crooner. My name is Julius Collins. I'm a longtime basketball enthusiast, and uh, I've written a couple columns here and there for uh, Zone Coverage. I am most known as a singer and a musician actor here in the Twin Cities. I am jo- joined by the one and only Coach Frank Centwally. What's happening? What's happening? Yes, indeed. And I myself am a longtime basketball enthusiast going all the way back to before I was born. <laughs> uh, I coach high school basketball here in the Twin Cities, played college ball myself. My father was a player at the University of Minnesota. And um, man, I am been wanting all my life to talk about basketball with the general public. Went to school for radio, uh, television broadcast to be an analyst. So coming full circle all these years later, let's do this, my man. Well, I think it's funny and a little bit ironic that you would say that because why don't you tell them why we're doing this podcast? Because frankly, there's a lot of podcasts out there right now. And and uh, frankly, I, 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 I can't get enough of them. I love them. There's some really good material out there some really good content and and Timberwolves fans are really lucky to have the just the bevy of really talented writers and and podcasters out there but why on earth would we want to add to that well I think that uh of all the wonderful podcasts that are out there and that we listen to many of them come from the writer's perspective or the perspective of those that cover the team or from the fans perspective and I sit back and watch the game and I look at the game from the coach's perspective. I look at the game from trying to figure out not just the X's and O's, but how the players internally might in their internal monologues might be processing the X's and O's, how the coaches are making their decisions. Um, I watch the game to steal plays for our high school program. And uh, I wanted to talk about basketball on a podcast from the coach's perspective and then mix that with the fact that I'm a spoken word artist, a performer. Performing artist, you're a musician and performing artist, and we wanted to bring a different flavor, an artist flavor, a coach flavor, a fan flavor, roll it all up, man, and <laughs> bake up something beautiful. Well, you know, just imagine, um, just imagine you love something and one of your buddies is happens to be someone who's very versed in that. You know, I love basketball. I enjoy basketball. I won't pretend to be an expert about the subject of basketball, but I, I would like to think that I have logical uh, takes and, and some insight as to the nuances of the game. But but frankly, my reasoning for doing this pod is I want to learn more. I want to understand that the game even at a deeper level. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert or, or watched music with a musician. We just have a very different way of, of experiencing those things than people who are just going there for the, I shouldn't say just going there, but they're going as a fan experience. Musicians are analyzing decision-making, they're analyzing tones, they're analyzing approach. Um, and so a lot of this podcast will be like marrying the two things, marrying arts, our rich arts theater and music arts community here in the Twin Cities, and just the wealth of like 
really great basketball. And let's face it, the enthusiasm surrounding the Timberwolves right now is off the charts. I don't think that I've ever been so excited. So, you know, what it's, are your thoughts on that? It's definitely at an all-time high. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and trying to explain to him that Timberwolves basketball hasn't had this type of buzz in over a decade and a half. And this is very much a basketball state. You know, the, the first intercollegiate basketball game in the United States was played in Minnesota over at Hamlin University. Um, the first state high school basketball tournament before there was even a Minnesota State High School League going back to, I believe it was around 1914. Um, back in those days, the high school basketball tournament was the second most attended state event outside of the state fair. So think of that. Think of all the people that go to the state fair, right? And then think of the fact that behind the state fair, what did everybody come into the Twin Cities for? State high school basketball tournament. Um, You know, 30 plus years before the state high school hockey tournament. So although we are, you know, consider ourselves the state of hockey, Minnesota always has been a basketball state and when you put a winning product on the floor as we've seen time and time again um well I shouldn't say time and time again but time right time again time and then now (laughs) right uh as you see um target center gets to rocking um the fans come out I mean I remember this team's you know inaugural year and playing in the Metrodome and how the audience flocked to the Metrodome to see an expansion team. So Ooh, Richardson. Yeah. Sam, Sam yeah. Mitchell. Good Doug friend of mine West, was a ball boy. Brad Lowhouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, obviously the excitement is, is, is palpable right now, but, and we already had some games played preseason, mm-hmm. albeit, but we've had a couple games played, but before we go forward, can we just briefly go backwards because we're sort of joining the party a little late here. So I just want to like briefly touch on what happened this off season. And I don't mean Ant being in a major motion picture. <laughs> um, to, let's, let's do that. Let's do it two ways. Okay. Let's talk about what happened on the player side. And then we can talk about what happened on the front office side. Let's start with, you know, Kyle Anderson was the first thing that happened. Right. And, and, you know, Chris Finch has talked about how that was a move that, uh, he and Connolly were going to make, um, regardless of anything else. That was their target. Uh, and if you've watched a couple of these preseason games, it's very easy to see why, um, you know, Finch called him with the ultimate Swiss Army knife and, um, a player that, you know, you play against the guy in the playoffs and you see what he brings to the opponent and you see what he can bring to your team. He checks so many boxes. He checks a maturity box. Um, he checks coming from winning programs box. He checks unselfishness box. He checks, you know, yeah, a he's the kind of player that can really impact a game without scoring. A right. Point. And impact young players without bringing too much attention to himself, right? Just about how he goes about his business. And then, you know, we're talking about a guy who's, what listed at six nine, maybe closer to six ten, six eleven, um, long, um, can play four positions, really. And and if you're gonna be a quality basketball program at any level, you need guys that can do that, you know, coaching over at Richfield High. Uh, the first section championship we won, which was my first year as an assistant over there, we had a kid who easily could have been a starter. 
um, got injured early season, came off the bench. You know, we convinced him, like, this is the role we need you to play for us to be successful. Kid played four positions, needed him to play point, played point. Needed him to play power forward, played power forward. We win sections. He's a big reason why. Kyle Anderson's that guy for the Timberwolves, and that's why they went out and got him. So they went out and got got Kyle Anderson, and then the next move would I would just say it just completely turned the NBA world upside down, the basketball mm-hmm. world upside down. They went and got Rudy Gobert. Um, I full disclosure when it first happened, I just had a meltdown. I just I, it was just like whatever we do, don't get Rudy Gobert. I just I, I think it's a bad idea. I don't. I mean, I can't. I can't see it. Um, and then it happened, and I didn't melt down once it happened. I was like, well, wait a minute now. I I really do trust Chris Finch. I, I trust his ingenuity. I trust his creativity. I trust his people skills. And I got to thinking about how that guy would make a function, and then he started talking about it. Then I got really excited. What are your thoughts on Rudy Gobert becoming a Minnesota Timberwolf? I think I was one of the few people that loved the move immediately. I was one of the few people that looked at the trade and what they gave up, and it didn't bother me at all. I got into long arguments <laughs> on threads on Facebook with, you know. You don't seem like the argument argumentative type. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we could start a really long scroll of people that would yeah, laugh if yeah. they heard you say that. Yeah, I couldn't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> But, uh, but, and, 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 you know, they were like, for all of that, you could have went and got Kevin Durant. And that made no sense to me. I'm like, there's no way I'm giving up any draft capital to get a guy who you know is not going to be around longer than 15 minutes. Um, and when you think about team construction, how do you build a team? When I look at what they gave up and what Rudy Gobert does, in my opinion, he was everything that that team needed, that mm-hmm. this team needed to really be a contender. Um, the number one biggest knock on Cat has been his, besides his emotional maturity at times, has been questioned. For, we call that for, stray voltage. Right, right. His stray voltage, as Finn said, for, for valid reasons, um, is his defense, right? That's been the knock on Cat has been his ability to defend the goal, you know, uh, interior defense, rim protection, um, the biggest knock on last year's team. And I said it before last year's team even started playing games. This team is too small. You well, just, I mean, I, all, you have, all one has to do is close your eyes and imagine like the last five minutes of those of that Memphis, Memphis series. series and right. it, was, it was infuriating to watch happen in real time. But it's funny how the – the further you get away from it, or at least the, the more I moved from it, the, the less I thought about it as an urgent need until it was addressed. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God. So the thing that we were terrible at, we're suddenly good at. We can defend the, the rim. And we can and rebound. We can rebound defensive yep. rebound. Because a defensive possession is is a waste if you can't get the rebound at the end of a successful defensive possession. And to watch them play good quality defense and then not get a rebound was, it was agonizing. And let's talk about the knocks on that particular trade here. Here were the knocks. You're getting rid of Pat Beverly. He changed the culture. He got you to the playoffs with a culture shift, right? Mm-hmm. And then the draft capital giving up. You're giving up your first round pick from the most recent draft. You're giving up all of these future picks. You're mortgaging your future. And then you're giving up these three starting caliber players or two starters and, you know, your lead score coming off the bench. And I thought, hmm, 
Rudy Gobert averaged about as many points and about as many rebounds as Jared Vanderbilt and Pat Beverly combined. So let's just cancel that out in the wash. Mind you, from a team that led the league in points per game last year, right? So you're not losing any points per game. And as a matter of fact, you're scoring easier in your starting lineup with Rudy Gobert. You're rebounding easier in your starting lineup with Rudy Gobert. And he's the three-time defensive player of the year. So for whatever you want to say about Pat Bev and Vanderbilt and what they bring to the table defensively, you can combine them into one player and you're still not getting the three-time defensive player of the year. Mm -hmm. So then you look at culture, right? They just paid their all NBA player $250 million. As Sam Mitchell said to Kevin Garnett, when Kevin Garnett threw a temper tantrum on the team bus, wait a minute, big dog, you the $110 million man around here. So, you know, what this looks like is what you put into it, right? Um, You know, so you need your high-end players to be your culture setters, whether the fans like that or not, to a certain extent. Well, speaking of culture setters, I do like that Rudy Gobert is a serious culture setter. He's a tempo setter on the floor, but he's a cultural setter off the floor. He's a serious-minded dude. And he understands what it takes to win in the NBA because the last I checked, Utah had some pretty good records, (laughs) you know, while Rudy Gobert was around. Now, they didn't translate that into a finals appearance or, you know, championships, but... They were the number one seed in the in in the uh, playoffs a couple years back. They've consistently been up at the top of the NBA in team defense. They've consistently been a powerhouse offensively. So winning is a mindset. Well, when, but but you know, there's some lazy stuff surrounding the narratives for um, lazy narrative surrounding Rudy and the Timberwolves in general for the most part. I mean, in fact, what the impetus for me even beginning to think I wanted to write an article is the lazy analogies that they use for Ant in his rookie year and mm-hmm. the comparisons. And it just, I was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to write something. Right. <laughs> this is going to make me insane to sit here just because I can't talk to anybody about it. All my friends are <laughs> artists, and they don't want to hear me complain. But I just hate it. I hate lazy comparisons. I hate lazy, you know, analogies. I just, you know, for a guy who likes being lazy, I hate lazy stuff. <laughs> but, but... The narrative surrounding Rudy Gobert is, you know, he can't win in the playoffs because he gets played off the floor. Mm-hmm. And so that it's like people want to immediately stra- extrapolate that as a, a Timberwolves problem. Right. Uh, I, I just I, I reject it because I think obviously we're talking about different athletes surrounding Rudy. Mm-hmm. So I think he's never had a guy like Jaden on the floor with him mm-hmm. that can do what that guy can do. Now I know, and you've mentioned this before, Jaden's got his own issues that he needs to iron out, but I think he and Rudy together are pretty formidable mm-hmm. in a way that Rudy didn't have with any other team. I mean, Joe Ingles wasn't giving him that kind of right. uh, that kind of perimeter wing defense. I mean, he wasn't getting that from Donovan, McNish- Donovan Mitchell up top. So I just think it's a different world for that dude. What do you think? I think that... Um when you watch the game and you understand what teams are trying to do and who they're trying to attack, the philosophy, the five-out philosophy utilized by Dallas, um, I believe it was Denver that also knocked them out, you know, sooner than they expected to make a playoff exit. Um, 
you're spreading the floor in, in the playoff basketball is about who you can exploit on the other team in their defensive schemes. Who can you exploit on the other end of the floor when you're on offense? And the exploitation of Rudy was secondary, right? The idea was let's force Rudy to have to guard the paint, put a shooter, you know, at the five spot, and you can't be in two places at one time, even when you're 7-2. You can't protect the rim and then cover all the way out to the three-point line you know, maybe the new French kid coming in might be able to do that. But, <laughs> looks but, like he but, can do but, anything. Right, but outside of that, most normal, you know, and Rudy's an abnormal human being. So, right, so that's almost an impossible task. So what was being attacked was not Rudy Gobert. It looks like it's on Rudy because his man's the guy knocking down the corner well, I just feel, I feel like they were assigning the blame. To Rudy. Like, almost specifically to Rudy and ignoring, like, the things that were surrounding him making it difficult for him. Very few guards or wings get assigned the blame when things are going wrong defensively on Donovan a basketball team. Mitchell is a terrible defensive player, and yet you don't hear nearly enough about that part of it. And that's, you know, I don't want to get too much into that, but, it, you know, Cleveland has length behind Mitchell in Garland. Well, I just meant in, but, in but Utah. No, right, but so what I'm saying is what we're going to find out is can two six one guards handle enough defensively and keep the pressure off of their interior defenders boys. in Cleveland, right? And they didn't even have, you know, Mike Conley's a 30-plus Mike Conley is nowhere near what Darius Garland is, right? So... It wasn't just Mitchell, right? Yes, Mitchell was a problem, but then they just had guys that were physically limited in what they can do. They talk about can 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 Cat play the four uh, defensively, but if Bogdan Bogdanovich can play the four, um, I believe that's the Bogdanovich brother uh, brother that was in Utah. Um, if, if he can play the four, Cat can play the four. You know. So what I'm getting at is you didn't have the most fleet of foot. Uh, lateral defenders in Utah in front of Rudy. Um, and, and Jeff Van Gundy talked about it in, during the preseason telecast last night. Like, it's not just a matter of keeping guys off of Rudy when he's guarding the rim and pick and roll defense. Can you guard your guy one-on-one -on -one in isolation and not make Rudy have to come over in isolation? And that's what happened in Utah. If you can't guard your guy one-on-one -on -one and you got a shooting five on the floor, I'm, let's look at it like this. Did Cat or did he not play Stevens Adam off the floor in the Memphis series? Steven Adams didn't have a shot stand on the floor right. in that series. So, so they made an adjustment. And, and also because ultimately, if you can't guard your guy one-on-one, -on -one, a rim-defending big gets negated. I don't care who he is. So that's what we're getting. Ant should be able to guard his guy one-on-one. -on -one. Jaden can guard his guy one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to see if Cat can guard his guy one-on-one. -on -one. I think he can because if Rudy goes to help Cat, Jaden's rotating over, Ant's rotating over. By the time the ball swings, swings, Cat can get back to somebody, and he can close out close. You don't have to close out to give up threes. You can close out to take away threes because if he gets beat, now you're seeing Rudy again on the back end of that rotation. So between Cat, Jaden, and Rudy – the Timberwolves shouldn't give up a lot of three-point shots if you're thinking from a coach's perspective because there shouldn't be any short closeouts. You got three 6'11", long-arm, defensive, you know, shot-blocking guys. You, 
you know, the rotation is going to be there where you're going to have to see one of them at the rim. And as long as you don't have to see Cat every time at the rim, then Cat doesn't have to worry about picking up those fouls. Okay, let's go back um, because we're talking about all-season moves. Mm-hmm. And we got to Rudy. We yep. talked about slow-mo. Yep. And then there are just a couple of other uh like ancillary moves that I thought were just pretty clever moves around the margins, like Bryn Forbes mm-hmm. and, and Austin Rivers. Mm-hmm. And because I think when we lost Pat Bev, and I do mean we, mm-hmm. um, there, the, the conventional wisdom was we lost the person who was going to be the driving force moving forward. And, right. you know, I'm of the mind that he was perfect place, perfect time perfect amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Rubio situation, to maybe in a, in a way a lesser degree, because I don't think that Rubio changed the culture, but I did think that he was a positive influence in that locker room, on the floor. He's loved by the fans. Uh, Ant got a chance to really experience kind of a more worldly approach to basketball, at least maybe. Um, and the team was in chaos. And the, yeah, was just, I mean, let's just be there honest. That. That, that season, like, who knows what would have happened had Ricky had a year or two with, the type, you know, without Cat being injured, without Digo being injured, so on and so forth. So. But what I think my man did last year was mm-hmm. energize them in a way that they had not been energized before. He like uh, he he was he would fight anybody, and he just mm-hmm. gave you that kind of confidence. Um, so, but lose. I mean, I think people started to think that was the only way that was going to get done. It was the only right. way to be able to to, to shave that and. and Bringing in Rudy, bringing in somebody like Kyle Anderson, bringing in players like Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes who have been in winning programs. Mm-hmm. What does that do for culture when you lose somebody like Pat Bat? Well, if you think of it like this, so I'm just going to be honest, Malik Beasley wasn't exactly the most mature <laughs> apple in the basket, which is, and that's not being unfair to Malik because people forget Malik was young also. I mean, he's the same age as Cat and Dilo, right? So, I think so he's a little younger. Uh, right, so, the, so he's a young player as well. Um, Vando's a young player, mm-hmm. right? So the only veteran presence they lost was Cat. So you take one veteran who's come from winning programs away and you bring three of them in. Right. So you're not replacing Pat with one personality that is serious minded with experience winning. You're replacing them with three personalities that are also a little bit calmer in how they go about things. So that kind of brings me to something I was going to mention earlier. And uh, because there, we talked about it briefly, there have been a couple of instances when Jimmy was here and back when KG and those guys went to the Western Conference Finals. You know, there was euphoria all around that stuff, but, you know, that shit was gone before you knew it. And right. there seems to be a more sustainable energy. Right. And I, I don't, I mean, Pat Bev burns hot, man, so I don't know how sustainable that energy was. But I feel like these dudes and these type of dudes surrounding Ant's kind of heat mm-hmm. is a better kind of, and, and, and their mature approach to the whole thing is really... Helpful for cat. I was gonna say that. That I was gonna say that. Um, not only ants, you know, youthful exuberance and and his style about how he moves through the world, but also I think for cat as well. You know, having that, having those guys that are a little bit more even keel. That one, it allows cat to be kind of his eccentric self mm-hmm. um, because there's more even keel behind it. Because yeah, I, I think you bring up a very good point. Jimmy Butler runs, you know pretty hot and Pat Bev runs pretty hot and you put too much combustible energy in one spot and you know eventually it's bound to 
it, it's bound to explode. Um, and I think these guys are more even killed. But also, these guys can play. Mm-hmm. You know, Bryn Forbes is a bucket. And he's been a bucket his whole career. He was a bucket at Michigan State. And and he's been a bucket in preseason. I was going to say, he's already know? shooting it good. So, so, and he's one of those guys that if you don't really know the NBA, you say, ah, oh, well, you know, he's a little smallish. He's not a great defender. First of all, you can get away with bringing in guys that are professional scorers that are not great defenders when you have a Kyle Anderson, a Rudy Gobert, Jaden McDaniels on your team, right? Um, that helps players like Bryn Forbes when he can be on the floor with a second unit, especially if they're talking about toggling with Cat and Rudy, leaving one of them on the floor at all times. Well, Bryn Forbes is a perfect player to have on the floor when Rudy Gobert is on the floor because mm-hmm. his defensive liabilities get covered up a little bit. Um, and his shooting, um, you know, creates space in that screen and roll game. Um, Austin Rivers, you know, it, he's become kind of the, the media darling of, of the new acquisitions. He's saying all the right things and he's saying them in a way where you absolutely know he means it. And, you know, he's a player that there's nothing left to do but win for him. Like, I'm here to win because I'm, what, 30 years old and... And that's a guy, when he was coming out of high school, people thought he was going to be the next Kobe. Right. And he was going off. Right. I mean, he went to Duke. So if you you go to Duke and you get drafted in the top three, I believe it was, or top five of the NBA draft, then people expect you to... But it it speaks to the journey... You know what I mean? It speaks to the journey. It's like in theater, you know, maybe when you're in your prime, you're getting cast as a lead character, but maybe right. later on you're getting ensemble work. And, you're, you know what I mean? Right. And your mindset has to kind of, you know, you have to kind of recalibrate your, your approach and your your the way you think about even yourself. And it requires some humility. And it seems like, and I, I don't know why I didn't expect this from him because Doc always seemed like a pretty self-aware guy. And he's, he's Austin Rivers is, I think, exactly what that locker room needs because he's I like, and we ain't having that mess around here. He's kind of having these dudes over here talking mess, wishing other players would not do well on the floor. Right. We're, we're going to be focused. if we Whether we play minutes or we don't play minutes, I'm telling you right now, I love that kind of dude on the bench. He's kind of grown into, I think, uh, an extension of the mentality that his dad had when he played. Like, we're going to play defense. We're going to be a team first player. We're we're going to, you know, we're we're all about the win. Um, you know, for those who remember Doc Rivers playing with Atlanta, Doc Rivers was an extremely good defensive. I lived in Atlanta guard. when he was with, right with the Hawks. So, Randy Whitman, yeah, Doc Rivers, and Free Neek, Rollins, and, and Dominique, and, and the human highlight film, yeah. right? And so and so, um, you know, when I listen to him talk, you know, I think kind of kind of sounds like where his dad was toward the end of his career. Like, you know, I understand the importance and significance of defense, and I understand the importance and significance of winning over everything else as a collective. You know, um, we, we our, our high school program has our, our um, motto is we over me. And when I listen to Austin Rivers talk, I hear we over me, and I hear that's what he's, you know, it sounds like that's what he's saying. Our locker room is going to be about we over me. How can I be a part of the we that roots for the next man? I'm not worried about the me because if we are successful, each individual is successful. And, you know, quite honestly, um, his defense and Finch 
called it out in the post-game interview the other day. His defense has been on point. His approach has been on point. He's backing up what he's been talking. And I found it interesting in the post-game interview that as well as Jalen Noel has been playing, um, and there have been a couple defensive lapses, lapses there that we'll get into when we talk about um, you know what we've seen so far. But as well as Jalen Noel has been playing, Finch went out of his way to kind of mention Austin Rivers um, as a player who he felt like was playing really well with that bench unit. Um, and it's all about saying what this player is bringing to the table from a mentality standpoint is what we want everybody yeah. bringing to the table. This is the deepest, in my opinion, uh, Wolves team ever. I think it's the deepest. I, I could, I'm obviously uh, fine with, if I'm proven wrong. I'm hoping I hope I'm not. But I, I think this team is everything that when they made the trade, people thought they wouldn't be. Like initially, there was you, you've mortgaged your future, mm-hmm. and your team is lean now. And mm-hmm. I think what they've done with Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes and and Kyle uh, Anderson, Kyle Anderson, and all these cats is they've they've just been smarter about how they filled out the roster. I agree. Um, and, and I think that depth is going to be a and balance, right? And, balance. I was say, and balance and that, that depth and that balance is going to be uh, a big reason for their success. If they're successful to the extent that, you know, we hope they are as T Wolves fans and that we think they will be as people who are serious minded about the game because let's be honest, the Western Conference is going to be a grind. It's mm-hmm. going to be grueling. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be teams doing load management, so to speak. The Wolves may have to do some load management with Rudy coming off of his uh, French national team. I did summer. notice he was wearing a, a knee brace in the last preseason game. Yeah, and I think uh, I was listening uh, on on the way to uh, my uh, son's football game. This morning, I was listening to the podcast, and I think Dane and Kyle, Dane Moore and, and Kyle Tige, is mm-hmm. that how it's pronounced? We're, I believe we're, so, yes. we're talking about, uh, they noticed that when they when they were interviewing them him out in Vegas. And, you know, clearly he played. So, and, you know, if you watch him get a rebound and cross somebody over <laughs> and then show that he definitely is not used to throwing lobs any more than Ant is. <laughs> I think we just have a have to have a practice specifically dedicated to throwing lobs. I mean, right. Everybody get your lob on. It, it was almost like Rudy was like, okay, I'm going to show you how I want my lobs thrown to me. And it didn't quite work out that way. not getting like, up high enough yet. Right. Or, or Rudy went, man, throwing a lob is harder than it seems when they're throwing it to me. <laughs> right. But I thought that was funny. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, just he'll be fine, but I think they'll have to do some load management with him, but you know, teams like the Clippers with guys coming off of injury, teams like Denver with guys coming off of injury, mm-hmm. you know, the they... Lakers with, you know, AD's perpetually hurt and LeBron is, you know, coming off of, you know, a year that he finished the season injured up and he's in his 20th year. So you, I think you're gonna, there's going to be wins to be had in the West, and um, no shortage of teams uh, tanking for the French kid. Well, definitely four of them in the West <laughs> and probably more of them in the East. Like, um, but, but after the, this uh, last weekend, uh, ooh, like, you know, maybe. I'm just going to call him Victor W because when he comes into the league, some really bad team is going to get a lot of Ws. Yeah, but but I'm hoping he gets drafted in the Eastern Conference. So let's, am I. Let's tank, let's tank Orlando. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but one thing I wanted to mention, too, about the depth of this team and really staying healthy and their ability to win a lot of games is Finch gets these guys to play hard. He really, really promotes playing hard. You know, even in this preseason, these first two games, 
One thing that I've noticed has been consistent is they're still flying around on the defensive end. So I was very, very excited to see. Right. And so the precedent is set that this is how we're going to play regardless of the stakes. I think, you know, going back to the days where the Timberwolves were getting knocked out of the first round every year with Flip and mm-hmm. KG and, and company, well, a lot of those years they shouldn't have been the eighth seed. That's right. But they were the eighth seed because they played hard from game one to game 82 of the regular season. With this squad... And they had a player who was, you know, otherworldly and, and could player. Like right. lift the, lift the, uh, but who's the wins that maybe shouldn't ordinarily have had. But his identity was how hard can you play? And so that identity permeated throughout the rest of the team for those wins. But what I was getting to was I think there's going to be a lot of blowouts. I think the Timberwolves are going to win a lot of games big, mainly because of the bench. I think you're going to see the bench go against other teams' second unit, and you're going to see some 15-0, 20-0 runs, and it's going to be hard for teams to catch up because of the offensive firepower in the starting unit, and they'll be able to rest guys in the fourth quarter. I uh, I think that's played out, and I don't want to – I know we're going to get to the preseason a little bit here because um, that seems to be playing out already. The depth – I mean, I mean, obviously – well, heck, the first game they rested D'Lo, Cat, and and, uh, Rudy, and Rudy and put up 121 points and put up 120 <laughs> points <laughs> right? so. and looked like you know they could have done more if they you know so I I, I have confidence that that depth is going to get uh, those 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 wins that would you know especially against I think you know some of those teams that are you know 10 through 15 in the conference the both the east and the west maybe 11 through 15 in the west and 9 10 through 15 in the east when you're playing those teams that you should beat when you have a veteran bench like we're talking about guys that know what it takes to win a lot of regular season games to position yourself properly for the playoffs you're not going to have as many nights where the bench comes in and gives up a lead or the bench comes in and plays even I think you're going to have a lot of nights where the Timberwolves second unit whoever they put out there in whatever combination of players because I think Finch is going to be able to play a lot of combinations you're going to have a lot of nights where that bench unit is dominant on both ends of the floor, especially if they're toggling Cat and Rudy and you have Rudy on the floor with other teams' second units, right? So I think where the separation is going to come on a lot of nights is in that bench unit, and you're going to be able to rest, guys. Okay, so we have <laughs> we haven't even mentioned our our backcourt, so let's let's get there. It's, it's been a little bit of a change. With Pat Bev, that's I think the third Pat Bev mention, but in this case, last one. No, it, it's <laughs> it's relevant in this way. Um, D'Lo's back on the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Bev and D'Lo, I you know I've I've heard things. So D'Lo playing point, and I'm happy that Ant is now moving back to the two, mm-hmm. where I feel he can be more functional. What is that going to look like in 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 the West? We'll find out. Um, I think, you know, based off of kind of what I'm reading between the lines and Chris Finch's interviews, going back to, you know, the the exit interview last season and his conversations throughout the summer at various press conferences, um, you know, the pressure's on D'Lo to be the best defender that he can be. Um, we know Ant has to take steps as a defender. Finch has already mentioned that he sees him taking steps off the ball as a defender. Um, having guys play their natural position breeds comfort, and comfort usually breeds better energy 
Um, so, um, and, you know, we can kind of segue this a little bit if you want to into what we've seen so far this preseason. But before most, we do that, before yeah. we do that, I, want, I do want to discuss the front office offseason situation before we segue into that because we can do that as simple as they brought in a dude and they went swinging for the fences. What are your thoughts about him? Tim Connolly? Yeah. I think that you just have to look at how he's drafted and the guys that he had in Denver and how and the guys that he brought in in Denver um, to see that this guy knows how to put together an NBA basketball team. I mean, where, where did Bryn Forbes play last year? Mm-hmm. Where did Austin Rivers play last year? P.J. Dozier. These dudes um, like him. And here's the deal. Now, we're talking about a team that played a whole season without Jamal Murray and most of the season, if not the entire season, without Michael Porter Jr. And the common you know, the common thought would be, okay, well, yeah, you got the MVP, but what do you got around the MVP? And these guys that, you know, your, 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 your layman's fan, you know, your average casual fan maybe doesn't know their skill sets or maybe never even heard of, are playing not only big roles, but Denver really didn't miss a beat regular season. I think you know in the playoff time you, you need your, you need your dogs, you need your horses. Um, but you know Denver had a great regular season last year, all things considered, and that's a credit to the guys that Tim Connolly brought brought in to build that team. And so what has he done as soon as he's gotten here is you sign Kyle Anderson, you trade for Rudy Gobert, and then you go get some guys that you know what they're going to bring to the culture to supplement, you know, um, these young guys, uh, like we talked about, not just on the court, but these personalities that will help balance out a cat that will help balance out Anthony Edwards. So I think Tim Connolly's record speaks for himself. Dell Demps has been in the league, both as a coach and, and an executive for a really long time. I think there's great synergy there. Um, so yeah, I think the front office is as stable as I can ever remember it being, you know, maybe going back to, again, those playoff days with Kevin McKellen, Flip Saunders. There was some stability, obviously. Yeah, there, but they didn't like second round draft run. picks. Right. They, they might not have got, they might not have been able to pick out, you know, those, those second round players, you know, you know, Tim Connolly just finds guys kind of like they do in Miami. It's like, where does Pat Riley find these guys? Right. And Tim Connolly found an MVP at what? Right. Right. Where do you find the job? Right. At 40 something in the draft. Right. (laughs) So, so he can find guys and that's what you're going to need when you're paying, you know, two guys that have, you know, um, historically played the same position you know, 300 something million dollars, you, you, you know, you got to find guys um, that are off the radar. And I think that Tim Connolly's shown that he can do that. And when so I, great move. When I play music um, with bands, mm-hmm. um, you know, we try to model behavior mm-hmm. and there seems to be a real kind of synergy between Chris Finch and Tim Connolly, that I think that I was nervous about initially. I, I thought that Sanchez was a good fit because they were both kind of mellow dudes. But I, Finch has a fiery side to him, and and Connolly has a, a a really kind of get along kind of element to him. They seem to be doing like they seem to fit nicely together. I would agree, and I think to use your band analogy. Um, in the band that I was in for the longest time, the most beautiful thing as a front man was not having to worry about the musicians playing around you. And what I mean by that is, 
Finch doesn't have to worry about whether Tim Connolly is going to do his job well. Tim Connolly doesn't have to worry about whether Finch is going to do his job well. Dell Demps doesn't have to worry about, you know, Sasha doesn't have to worry yeah, about. Yeah, but what I meant by modeling behavior, because you're absolutely right, They, I, I just love that they all trust each other to do their jobs. Right. They have perfect right. confidence in, in, in each other's capabilities. But by right. modeling that kind of synergy, I think it's going to be helpful for Kat and Rudy. It's going to be helpful for Ant and, and D'Lo. When I just felt like Pop managed, he modeled the kind of behavior that he expected. He expected right. a kind of focus and a kind of intensity. Come on, Greg Popovich, the yeah, head coach Greg San Popovich. Antonio. So, so I, I, I like what's happening here energy-wise. I'm a big energy dude. I agree. I, 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 they, the appearance and just the feel, the energy around, you know, us as fans, the excitement doesn't seem to have worry attached to it. I think, you know, the, the only worry is where Minnesota's, you know, professional sports fan audience. And so we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> right. But it just feels stable. Right. It just feels like an extrapolatable. Right. It feels and like it, it's sustainable. <laughs> right. Right. And and that's a great feeling, I think, as a fan. It's it's a feeling that's inspired us to do podcasts. It's a feeling that's, you know, inspiring people to buy season tickets. You know, sales are through the roof. You know, I I just think that that there's a feeling of, yeah, this just all makes sense. And anybody who's worried about the fit between Cat and Rudy, in my opinion, just hasn't played enough basketball or hasn't coached enough basketball. And I also think just underestimates Cat's mobility and underestimates the fact that they're going to create more problems, in my opinion, than are going to be created for them. I think and that is a really... Really important point because everybody seems to be wigging about wigging out about cat on defense more right. specifically than anything else. It seems like that's the thing people are focusing in on. That that does make it work, right? If cat is good on defense, which I think that the cat's a bad defender rap is a horrible rap, you know. And I'll just say really briefly why. When you are a tweener playing up in position, meaning you are constantly defending in a way that is not um, best suited for your body type, you're going to look bad. I don't care who you are. You're going to look bad. You can get away with being a tweener playing down in position, especially if the next man over in position excels, and that's what they have. So I don't think Cat's a bad defender at all. I just think Cat was in a bad position with a lot of bad defenders around him. Well, it's going to play out. And it is currently playing out. We've got a couple games, preseason games already uh, that have happened. Cat hasn't played yet. And so what are your thoughts about how this team looks thus far? What are you seeing? The first thing I want to see from a coach's mentality is how hard are guys playing, right? And guys are playing hard. And when guys, when their matchup is playing harder than them, I've seen guys step up and meet the challenge. Case in point, the game against the Lakers. Um, Thomas Bryant beat Nas Reed and Rudy Gobert down the floor like three times in a row, something like that. Like he was just flying down the floor. We know Chris Finch's biggest concern has been transition defense, right? But then, you know, all of a sudden he beats him down the floor and Nas Reed comes from behind and gets a block. And it's almost to say, you know, it's almost like, okay, I got to pick up my energy level because this guy's playing hard. Mm -hmm. um, 
going back to what we were mentioning earlier that I was going to say about D'Angelo Russell, the first thing I noticed about D'Angelo Russell was how hard he was playing on defense. This first time he's played this preseason, he didn't play the first game, of course. And what popped to me was, okay, D'Lo's here to work on D. He's picking up guys out by half court, you know, and this is preseason. So well, he's got to be buoyed by the fact that he knows there's a seven foot two behemoth behind him, but but it's still mentality because Utah taken. wasn't buoyed behind it. Behind, you know, Utah wasn't buoyed by no, that. I feel like they, so, they abused it. <laughs> right. they, they, and Chris Finch has made it very clear that, you know, we can't abuse that. That's not fair to Rudy. Right. And when the guy that's, you know, everybody's kind of worried about, will he be able to actually guard his position on the ball when D'Angelo Russell was up there doing it? Now, mind you, he wasn't doing it against Pat Bever, Russell Westbrook. So, but to me, even more so then, you better be up and guarding the guy. And when you know you are guarding a guy that, you know, might be playing for the Lakers G League team, you know. And so just how hard they were playing was the first thing that I noticed. In both preseason games, you saw guys that were playing with pace. The fact that they were played with the fastest pace in the league last year and they come out in their first two preseason games and no matter who's on the floor, they're playing fast. That means last year wasn't just about Pat Bev or wasn't just an anomaly. That's the identity that Chris Finch has set for this particular program. So that stood out to me right away. Um, you know, I, I noticed something and I didn't, I didn't get to see the first half of the Lakers game, but I did see the the heat game mm-hmm. and i noticed that ant was guarding kyle lowry and no not kyle lowry he was guarding tyler hero um, well I, kyle, I feel like he he's some time yeah, on well, he did at, at the point of attack too so yeah. i guess yeah. my, my question right. is is that going to be one of those things that they tackle between having d- taking d this game to to guard the point or is ant going to be solely the person guarding the most dangerous it'll be it'll be matchup specific I think it'll be it'll go it'll be different from game to game I think you're going to see Ant on the ball a lot but you know you're going to see Jaden on the ball you're going to see Kyle Anderson on the ball you're going to see D'Lo on the ball so I think it'll be game to game and matchup specific I don't think any good coach is going to pigeonhole themselves um, into one particular thing unless of course D'Lo was a you know, let me, unless D'Lo was Marcus Smart, you know, type, type point guard defender. But, um, so I think that will vary, but it doesn't really matter. Cause when you're talking about the Western conference, especially, and you're talking about at least 10 teams that all legitimately think that they have a, a chance to make a run at this. It's not like you're going to be able to hide D'Lo against other teams starting lineups. So no team thinks they have a chance to make a run at it if they feel like they have weaknesses in their starting lineup. So well, you last know, year Finch was able to do that to some degree by having Pat Bev right, yeah, do yeah, the dirty work guys. that way and you could you could you could hike Delo a little bit, although he proved that he was more more of an attentive defender, let's just say. He calling out more of a free safety style defender. He knew what was coming, even if he didn't have the athleticism to kinda, you know, put his imprint on the situation right. he knew he knew what was happening he could communicate that to people and and uh so i mean they had a three I'm, guard lineup last last season yeah. let's be honest they had a three guard lineup um which again speaks to some of the problems they had once they hit the memphis series that you know ant was small for his position last year um uh vanderbilt was small for his position cat was small for his position you know pat bev's a bulldog he's still fairly small mm-hmm. for the point guard position. Of course, Digo was small for the two guards. So you were small at every position. Mm-hmm. Rudy fixes all of that. Everybody's big for their position mm-hmm. now. Um, so, but really it's about the effort. You know, as long as Digo is putting in the effort on defense, when you have a player like Rudy, 
that'll that'll be enough. You know, just put forth the effort every moment that you're on the floor and that will be enough. And the NBA is played in flow. So as much as we like to talk about, well, this guy's going to guard this guy and this guy's going to guard this guy, there's always going to be cross matchups. There's always going to be flow. It's not like I can run all the way to the other side of the floor to pick up what on paper is supposed to be my man and just leave the ball, right? If the ball's coming up the floor on my side of the court and I'm the guard on that side of the floor, then that's who I'm guarding. It doesn't matter what the pregame scouting report says is the matchup because basketball is played in flow. So we, so really those things really only become super important in dead ball situations, you know, after timeout situations, sideline out of bounds underneath, and then fourth quarter when it becomes more set offense and the game slows down the last five minutes. Then it's really important who's on the ball and things like that. But during the flow of the game, you know, you're going to see Ant, D'Lo, Jaden, Kyle Anderson, Torian, Prince, Brentford, you know, whoever's in the game, you're going to see those guys guarding who's in front of them more often than not. Rudy being on the team changes uh, not just the team for the better, but it philosophically changes how they play defense. Yes. Well, frankly, how they play both offense and defense. There's been a lot of talk about uh, how Finch played up mm-hmm. uh, last year with Cat, and that mm-hmm. somehow helped energize – it seemed like it energized his team, made them more attentive. Um, but Rudy is a drop coverage guy. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hearing that they're going to toggle between the two of those coverages. Mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting. As a coach, how how do you implement two dramatically different styles of defense? I don't know that they're that dramatically different. I think that, in my opinion as a coach, I think that's a little bit overblown. And maybe I'm understating it. Um, but you're for the most part still only talking about four players initially. Now, what you do off the ball does change depending on the coverage that you're in, but if you're off the ball, you for the most part seeing everything in front of you. You know, it's the the rule in basketball is see ball, see man, or see man, see ball. And so you're staying connected to your man and you see what's going on in front of you. And if they're gonna do it based off of personnel, it becomes even easier. Right. Because if you know Rudy's being involved in the screen and roll and you're probably playing drop, then you know that you can stay home. Right. If you know that they're involving cat in the screen and roll, which is probably what a lot of teams are going to try to do, then, you know, you're you're probably going to be low man. Right. And and and. Either way, I think what Chris Finch is saying is it doesn't matter which coverage we're in. We want to really play with a lot of pressure and we want to fly around and we want to force people to have to, you know, take contested shots. And you want to force people to have to go see Rudy or go see Jaden, you know, as opposed to giving up wide open threes. And so. I don't think it's going to be as difficult to toggle. And then here's the other aspect of it. If they're going to toggle, but they're really only primarily going to play drop when Rudy's on the floor, then you're playing at the level most of the time, right? Well, I shouldn't say most of the time, but you're playing at the level, you know, the other half of the game or, you know, three quarters of the game. We'll just have to see because... The toggling to me is not so much when Cat's on the floor, you're playing, you know, up and when Rudy's on the floor, you're playing drop, but it's where it might become a little complex is I think more teams are going to try to put Cat in screening action than they are to put Rudy in screening action, right? 
And so I think you're going to see them still playing at the level a lot because I think more teams are going to try to make Cat be the screen and roll defender or, you know, the, the ball screen defender than Rudy. But I still just don't think that. I think if you are aware, if you're focused, I can't imagine as a player that it's overly difficult. I look at it like this. Our high school program has been known the last few years for having, we like to tease, you know, coach has, you know, 150 different defenses. We got high school kids that, you know, one possession, they were back in Amoeba. Another possession were in a 1-3-1. Another possession were in, you know, a man switch. Another possession were in a man pack. So you're saying if high school players are are capable of... Of learning uh, eight defenses, (laughs) you know, and playing five of them throughout a game. So the hullabaloo surrounding uh, deciphering two defenses is a little bit overblown. Right. I mean, you're guarding NBA players, and so there's less room for error. Every player on the floor, for the most part, can hurt you, but... Ultimately, like I said, if high school players can switch defenses every other time down court, pros better be able to figure it out. Well, they've had two preseason games, and they've had two lopsided wins. I know that's preseason, but right. what I'm sensing— And the Lakers played their G League team. Well, so. in, the first game, <laughs> in the first game, we we didn't play three of our first five ga- top right. five guys. Right, and we don't have a G League team. Let's be honest. As far as— as, far as the main, you know, the main 15 guys that we expect to be on the opening day roster, you got 15 NBA players. We don't really have, yeah. you know, that's and, why. And that's that's another thing that's just new for the Timberwolves. Right. Generally speaking, you just had, you know, maybe you had seven, eight guys that could right. play, and the rest of the bench was just dudes like Shane Heal. And, right. Let's bring right. him over from Australia because he really, like, he stood up to Charles Barkley in the Olympics. It was just like that kind of flyer on a guy kind of mentality. When we go six through 11, we have five, you know, six through 10, we got five guys that, you know, could be a starting lineup for, you know, some team. The Iowa Wolves are going to get a couple of good NBA players. <laughs> it's going to happen. Exactly. Everybody can't make this squad. It's going to exactly. be fantastic. Um, let's, let's wrap because we're getting close to the hour mark, and I just wanted to kind of get your, just your general opinion of what's going to happen over the next six months, seven months? Well, I, I'll give a couple predictions. I think, one, that fans are going to fall in love with the Jordan McLaughlin, Rudy Gobert pick and roll. <laughs> so I, and I, so there's that. Um, I think whatever people thought about Torian Prince last year, and I was a big fan of the pickup, you know, before anybody really who – follows the Wolves but doesn't follow basketball, knew who Torian Prince was. I was a big fan of that pickup last year. I'm glad they re-signed him. And from what I've seen in these first two preseason games, he's that dude is go. playing hard. He is not, I mean, he's, he's not having that slow start to the season stuff this no, year. No, and, and it's also about being a veteran setting precedent. And there was a closeout that he made in the Laker game in the second half, and I went, whoa, that was a playoff closeout in the preseason <laughs> game. You know, so I expect to see a team that is going to play extremely hard. Uh, and I think that's going to net them a lot of wins when other teams are, you know, again, doing load management. Um, I think you're going to stay away from bad losses. And so when I think about, you know, the over-under being, what, 48, 48 and a half, something like that, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, how did the Wolves get to 50-plus wins over the course of the next six months? I really think it's the depth. I really think the depth is 
going to win them a lot of games, I think, because what you can't have if you're in the Western Conference is those bad losses. Mm-hmm. You can't have those those dog days of the season losses to a team that has got nine wins and, you know, then they jump up and beat you because you just didn't bring it, you know. And I don't think you're going to see as much of that because of the veteran guys they brought in. And not to bench. mention covid Right, you and got injuries, COVID protocols, injuries, and, uh, right? It's just, the things you, know, you can't control. And histo- I mean, historically, you lose Cat for, you know, three weeks, four weeks. That's all she wrote. Even D'Lo right. the same situation. So right. being able to have players like, you know, Jalen Noel, Jordan McLaughlin, yeah, you know, having those guys around that are play that can play. And we didn't even talk about Jalen Noel, and and he he understands how important this year is, and he's showing it in this preseason. I mean, yeah. he's still. He's got some work to do defensively still, and maybe he always He's will. He's probably the worst defender on the team. I mean... I would take Jordan McLaughlin over him cause, just because he's he's got better hands Well, here's and a, anticipation. But yes and no. On I mean, defense. Here, here's the thing, and this has already played out in this preseason. Guys can just jump up and shoot over Jordan McLaughlin, and the buckets that he's given up this preseason are there's nothing you can do about it buckets. Like, guys are just getting to a spot, and they're just jumping over him and shooting. Um... The effort is there from Jalen Noel. And again, if the effort is there, that's all you can ask. I don't for. think it's optional anymore. Right. No, it really <laughs> is. Especially not for that it, dude it really because you know, Brent Forbes and, and Austin Rivers know, are like, man, listen, we can get, we can do that job, coach. Brent Forbes has had a couple plays this preseason where you go, oh, boy, that was a bad defensive play. You know, but to go back to your question, over the course of the next six months, I think you're going to see a team that is where. I think a lot of us expect them to be by hook or by crook and fighting for a four, four spot, three, four spot in the playoff chase. And I think that the end of season schedule is really tough. And that's either going to drop them some games and, you know, maybe it could drop them into the play. And they could go from, they could lose three games and go from the three seed to the play-in. Um, so we'll see. But if they can handle that end of season schedule they're going to be really battle-tested going into the playoffs. And now you're looking at a team that can, you know, exercise some demons in terms of, you know, does Rudy get played off the floor, stupid talk, or, you know, is Cat mature enough for the playoffs because they'll be ready for the playoffs if they're successful in that last three weeks to month of the season. Well, I don't know that I could get any more excited. It just got me so damn pumped up. <laughs> yes, sir. Man, um, this is um, some serious stuff. So we're going to be here. We're Excited to be a part of the tapestry. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, um, from time to time, we will do a, a vid along with the with the pot, and uh, we will have a special guest on, maybe a, a coach or or a scribe. Um, I've called some friends, and I've agreed to, they've agreed to come on. So we're lucky to have relationships in this sports and music and arts community. So yes, sir. we'll have some musicians, some actors, and some some uh, basketball people on, and mm-hmm. and uh, we'll just kind of kick it about so and we're gonna do this three times a month is where we've started and uh i'd love to hear from the listening audience um i I would love feedback on our first show our maiden voyage yes sir um so we'll we'll definitely be letting you know where you can send us feedback Uh, we're looking forward to vibing with people on twitter and uh you know three times a month for starters we're gonna be here coaching the crooner yeah i think that'll be be a good thing for us to do we can just 
we can assess trends and yes. we can maybe talk about more than one game at a time. I'm, I'm really excited about that. So that's going to be fun. We yes. want to thank everybody for, for hanging with us, uh, for the coach and the crooner on our maiden voyage until next time. Peace. <laughs>